Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, this is Richard. We talk about the smart home all the time. And in most cases, we're thinking about single family homes or condos where you own and have control over the infrastructure where you live. But what if you don't? What if you're renting? What should you be considering when purchasing smart home technology for your rental home? And if you're a landlord for either a long or short-term rental, what makes sense for those types of properties? Adam and I examine both sides of this coin in this rental property-focused episode of The Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to The Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Hey Richard. Hey Adam, how's it going? Pretty good. Today we are going to look at smart home tech from a little bit different perspective. So this was a suggestion that came to us by our producer, Eric, so this one's for you, to talk about smart home tech for rental properties. So I'm excited to dig into this. It's obviously not something that you or I live day to day, but I think we have some interesting perspective on it. Indeed. But before we do that, as usual, we're going to start with a question for each other. And my question for you, Adam, is so far in 2022, what's the favorite gadget that you've added to your collection? So I feel like the best is maybe yet to come as we enter <laughs> uh, what MKBHD calls Tech-tember. <laughs> but I do have one standout, which is I got a Valve Steam Deck. Nice. I know you're not a big gamer per se, but Steam Deck is essentially an attempt at a kind of handheld computer that runs full kind of PC level games. I got to say, it's a pretty impressive little piece of hardware. And I did take it with me on a trip to Germany a month or so ago. And um, pretty awesome to be playing like full res graphic games on an airplane. But it's also kind of cool for Xbox has this cloud gaming thing um, where you can log in kind of in a browser and play Xbox games in the cloud. And that is also very interesting. Like uh, I was in a hotel a couple weeks ago with one of my kids playing Xbox games on hotel Wi-Fi. So just excited about the future of kind of both of those arenas. Cool. How about you? Any uh, standout gadgets for 2022 so far? I think my favorite new thing is probably the keypad switch that Leviton came out with this year. Their PR folks were going to send me one to review and try out. And I was so excited about it. I couldn't wait and went out and just ordered some on Amazon. And it's a just a, a nice way of controlling scenes in your home either through HomeKit or IFT, using physical buttons that are connected to a normal 
position in your switch plate and it has four buttons, I'm so far pretty impressed. I have been doing all sorts of fun stuff with HomeKit and HomeBridge with virtual switches to be able to trick it into toggling so I can keep track of which button was pressed last. And if it's pressed again, then it undoes whatever it did last time and stuff like that. So that's probably been the newest, coolest thing that I've played with. And it's under $50. So that's a bonus. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, um, you can send those on Twitter using the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. Getting into our kind of main discussion here, we're going to first talk about this uh, topic from the perspective of a renter. Somebody in an apartment or a condo or some sort of property where they don't own that property. Some considerations that we kind of thought about here is you probably don't have the same capabilities that a homeowner would have to replace or install devices. I think every apartment or building manager has different levels of strict of rules, but you can say most of them wouldn't be too thrilled if you're messing with major electrical and and stuff like that. The other one is like the building or the structure may limit the use of some products. So, you know, just based on how your building runs, there may be some things like thermostats, doorbells, whatever, that you may not be able to use. You know, you're also going to want to kind of plan for outside of maybe New York. Most people don't rent with a long term intention. (laughs) So you kind of want to have things that are portable or, or you can pick back up and, you know, move to a new place or a home or, you know, whatever going forward. And obviously tips for anybody renting, get a good understanding of what the rules are before installing anything that may be kind of somewhat permanent or just kind of getting a, an idea of what's what's allowed and what isn't. And the other one I said is uh, command strips are your best friend as we talk about some of this kind of stuff. <laughs> but even those can like, you know, rip off pain and things like that. Like I know some places are pretty strict where you can't even put stuff on walls. So if this is something you're really serious about, I would really try to understand those rules before you even sign a lease because, you know, the last thing you want to do is make a three-year commitment to a place or even a one-year commitment and not be able to do some of the stuff you want to do. Right. Absolutely. I like the one that you mentioned about checking with your landlord because and understanding what the rules are because it may be, for example, at some point in time, we're going to talk about thermostats and stuff like that. A landlord may be okay with you putting a smart thermostat on the system that you have in your apartment, let's say, as long as you put the original one back before you leave, or as long as maybe you have a certified professional do it or what have you. It's just that most landlords want to make sure that you're not going to break their stuff. Yeah. I think most, from what I remember from my renting days, you know, most reasonable landlords just want things back the way you found them when you leave. And so some of that can also come into like, do you really want to go through all the effort to install something knowing that you might have to uninstall it at some point? So 
definitely want to understand that and go from there. So uh, we had a couple categories of things that you know we felt fit here. First, Richard's favorite category, lighting and electrical control. So I think thinking about things that are portable and, and not permanent, anything like a smart plug is a big winner. So anything you can control by turning it off and on simply. I think the thing with these, obviously we have products in this category, it's always finding the right devices that work well with just being shut off and on fully. Because some lamps, you know, if it's dimmable or, you know, if it works weird, you know, some lamps won't even work. Some fans, you know, if there's electric controls or, you know, buttons or weird things like that, you really want the most dumb, basic devices to be controlled by smart plugs. Really good point. I think that the thing to impart here is that this is different from, say, what we might think of as a smart outlet which is also a product that your company sells where you're replacing an outlet in the wall. In this case, instead, you're just piggybacking on top of an outlet. You're plugging something in that you then plug other stuff into. Why? Again, you don't have to uninstall it and it's easy to remove and move around. Yeah. The other big one would be smart bulbs. So obviously there's a lot to choose from here. I think across the board, just in this industry in general right now, I think I would pay particular attention to who you think might support matter before investing in things, because that's something that I'm trying to be really cognizant of. It's like not make major investments in things that don't have a path towards matter. So I think your major, your Philips Hue and some of those big folks, you know, definitely should have that. And then anybody that, it's probably not all true, but anybody that's doing stuff with thread, probably more likely to support matter as well. Yeah, the big thing with bulbs, though, kind of like we said, mentioned earlier, make sure you don't leave them behind because those things can be expensive (laughs) and you're going to want to remember where you have them. In case you know, you know move out, you're going to want to know what bulbs to bring with you. Right. And then uh, there are accent fixtures. So these are things like the Hue Play Bar or different adhesive strips or blocks, stuff like NanoLeaf, um, things like that. Yeah, it was stuff like that. The trick is that you want to make sure you're not getting something that has, and I'll put this in air quotes, permanent adhesive on it because that's probably going to damage surfaces. So you want to be careful that you're using stuff that is more easily removed and isn't going to cause extra work for you. I would avoid things, for example, like a hue strip, which has a built-in tape on the back of it. And instead maybe get something, in fact, many products now, I know, come with those 3M adhesive, what are they called again? The command strips, because they're removable. So that may be one of the best ways to look at anything that you're using for accent lighting that you need to adhere to a wall or to a surface. Yeah, just be prepared to paint afterwards because I 
I've pulled up a lot of paint before with those things. So. Yeah, you need to be really careful on taking them off. I mean, you it's it's an exercise of patience. It's like opening an iPhone box. Yeah. That's probably why I pull paint off is because I'm not very patient. <laughs> so what, what you just mentioned would fall into this next category, which is temporary switches or remotes. So this is stuff like uh, Hue, Sync, Lutron Picos anything where you can control different devices. And I think more and more there are these types of what I'd call scene controller type devices that are usually wall mountable or they can sit on a table or, you know, anything like that, I think plays particularly well in, in this scenario. And the trick again is something that you don't actually have to install in a box something that you don't have to hardwire. So whereas normally I would probably recommend, Hey, get one of those Leviton scene controllers or get some sort of wired in light switch. That's what you want to avoid if you're renting. So the next one is a category I'm not as familiar with is switch controllers. Yeah. You need to live with people who are really, really patient and not so concerned about the aesthetics of your environment if you're going to use something like this. SwitchBot is probably best known for this, the robot that turns on and off a switch for you, a battery-operated device that can actually flip a switch or tap a paddle for you. It adheres to the top, like over top of your switches and allows you to... Uh, you know, kind of get that control that way. They're not attractive, probably not that good in the partner acceptance rating factor, maybe better for bachelors than not. I don't know, but um, they do the job and they're temporary. Now that I'm talking about that, you know, the Hue Aurora is a much better looking product and probably falls into this category too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, super permanent and um, definitely a lot simpler. I did actually, now that you mentioned what it's all about, I had one of these one time hooked up to my tea kettle and I would use it to, you know, start water boiling remotely or on a timer. But yeah, it is very much a... It's a hobbyist product. Yeah, weird, weird way to do things. <laughs> so the next major category was locks. I think this is a tough one in, a, in an apartment situation because often likely a landlord is going to want to also maintain access to um, your place. I think August is an interesting option depending on what you can do. Most of the August stuff, you at least have to take off some of the internal lock bits, but I would say it's generally pretty apartment friendly. And then, you know, back to SwitchBot, you mentioned there they have this lovely new ugly lock turner. Yeah, that's that's horrible. But it does the job. Again, you're adhering this thing on top of your lock. So th this is much bigger than a switch flicker. This is a big, chunky thing that physically turns your lock for you. This isn't going to work in all situations either because sometimes a lock can be sticky. Sometimes a door, depending on how new your building is or how well it was built, your door may need a nudge 
to be able to lock it or unlock it. I know I'm in a new home and I still have to do that sometimes. So this may not work for everybody, but it is a solution. Um, probably not going to be so good in the paint when you take it off because it has to stick on there real good. And I don't really know what sort of adhesive they're using. Yeah, you make a good point about the nudge thing. I think that was one of my biggest struggles when I tested August was the door that I had it on was not like super well aligned. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you need a door that is like perfectly well aligned so that the lock moves real easy and that all works pretty seamlessly. So you can't have anything where you have to pull on the door or anything like that to, to get it to lock right. Yeah. In every case here, this is another one of those areas where I would say check with your landlord first to make sure that they're okay with this. Yes. This is probably one of the biggest areas where you're going to need to double, triple check what's allowed. Next one, next category is doorbells. And, you know, I think there's some pretty interesting things here. The big one that is really interesting, I think, is the Ring peephole camera something that they announced uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I think this would be particularly good if you had some concerns or you know just wanted to be able to look out your people remotely. It'd be pretty good. And people probably don't recognize that that is a standard. The size for a peephole in a door is a standard. And oh. this device is designed to fit in place of your existing lens-based people. So those can be removed. This is put in its place and you do it without having to drill anything into the door, which is one of the things that makes this product so innovative, really. And it has a doorbell on it in addition to a camera. There you go. And then there's a bunch of different battery-powered video doorbells. So the Ring Video Doorbell 3, Eufy has an option there. Nest has one as well. So a couple different options there. And then you also added in here. So um, Ring just announced at IFA a new intercom for central kind of entry system. So this is one that also, I think, kind of plays in this space. Yeah, now that's not going to be available immediately in the U.S., but in European flats in particular and in high-rise buildings where there's a central entry system and you answer and buzz people in from like a phone that you might have somewhere in your home, like a physical phone set that you pick up and say, okay, you can come in and then you press a button. This is designed to interface with those and allow you to communicate and trigger those from the Ring app. It's a pretty clever solution specifically intended for the European market right now. And they're looking to bring it to the U.S. market sometime next year. Interesting. Next category, general category of security. So there's a couple kind of all-in-one security systems like Abode or Simply Safe that have offerings that don't require installation, that can just be mounted, have door sensors, things like that. Yeah, and the door sensors typically have some sort of permanent mounting adhesive on them, but you can use something like a command strip on many of those sensors if door sensors is one of the things that you care about. A lot of these standalones, like the abode system, 
doesn't even have to have door sensors. It's based on a camera and you can have other motion sensors around and manage your security that way. So it really depends what you're after. Yeah. And obviously we talked about doorbell cameras, but there's a lot of also great battery powered standalone camera options from Nest, Ring, Eufy, Blink. I think only half of those companies are Amazon companies, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. Oh, Arlo is the one that we have our battery powered Arlo cameras at our office. Battery powered cameras are really good now. They last a really long time and they're Wi-Fi options. There are options that operate on other kind of more proprietary frequencies, but I think there's a host of really good options in this space. So whether you want to monitor outdoor areas or places inside your place, I think those are all all good options there. For sure. So the next area is kitchen. And I think, um, you know, this is something where I think a lot of the kitchen options are really not install needed anyways. So you got your countertop ovens like uh, Tavala or June or sous vide. You got instant pot or the actual sous vide cooker type stuff. So I think a lot of good options there where, you know, some apartments don't have the greatest kitchen setup. So this is a good way to augment and give yourself some other options. Yeah, that's particularly the interest that I have here. I think in my experience renting, the appliances are usually entry level, not really that good, not that precise if they're cooking devices. And so you can get a lot of mileage, for example, out of a $300 Tavala oven that's also a toaster and also a reheating device and also now can cook with steam and they have meal plans that you can hook into as well. I was a big fan of that product when I had it, but any of these devices could be much better for you than having to fire up your big oven and may make more sense in some households than even having a microwave. Well, and I think you made another good point there too, which is a lot of these can be multi-multi-function devices. So if you're in a space where you don't have a lot of countertop space to have separate distinct devices to do 12 different things, having you know a June or a Tavala that can serve in five or six different functions um, is really going to go a long way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, similarly, the Instant Pot, which I just set up downstairs before I came up to record this. Excellent. Another category, so music and assistance. So, you know, anything here from Sonos to Google Nest, HomePods, Echo speakers, lots of whole home audio, as well as command and control options there. And that just astounds me, right? The idea that you can get whole home audio with individual nodes for $100 or less potentially in a completely portable fashion. I love the times we live in. Well, in some ways, I love the times we live in. In other ways, less. But technology-wise, that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. The last category I just called the other, but 
I think particularly if you're in a single floor plan type option, I love a good robot vacuum. And probably <laughs> the, the time when I used my Roomba the most was, you know, when we lived in an apartment. Um, that was also a simpler time, you know, before children and things like that, which get in the way of robot vacuums. But yeah, I think that's another really great option. That's a good idea. And one less thing to have to take care of yourself, like to just have the your your basic vacuuming done. Obviously, you still need to do some follow up behind it and maybe even some prep depending on your conditions. But I hadn't even thought of that. And then, you know, lastly, if if you're a renter and you're moving, I would say, you know, do yourself a favor keep a list of kind of what you do put in if you if you really go deep so you don't forget to remove your various smart things that um, you installed you know replace those smart bulbs with standard ones and if you do end up leaving anything be a nice courteous person like Richard and factory reset or remove count and stuff yeah and you already mentioned the bulbs thing but seriously don't forget your smart bulbs because you probably paid way more for each of those than the cost of a standard LED bulb now, which is what, a dollar, maybe $2 if you want it dimmable. Yeah. And, you know, the person probably would never even realize what was there. So it's not like you're doing anybody a favor by leaving them behind. It's funny, when I took my Hue bulbs out of our hi-hats in our old house, I felt bad about it. Like I felt bad that I was taking the nice lights and putting less nice lights in their place. Ultimately, the new owner ended up just replacing them all with those little thin disc things anyway. So don't worry about it. Take your stuff. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors. And when we return, we're going to have some more smart home discussion. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting. But he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. Okay, now we're going to look at things from the other side of the equation. We're going to look at this from the property owner or landlord's perspective. And again, there's some considerations that we have here. You want to keep things as simple as possible. You want to be looking for stuff that helps you maybe manage this property a little bit more easily, but without adding confusion for your tenants. You may think that a certain smart product is a cool thing in your home, but we all talk about the whole babysitter test and mother-in-law test and stuff like that all the time. Imagine that with the renter test or the tenant test. 
let's not add stuff into the property that's going to make it harder for the people that are living or staying there. Yeah. Also, you need to consider the local jurisdictions. Like you may not be able to put certain types of devices on your property. I am coming at this from some degree of familiarity because I own a vacation rental property. It's a short-term rental. And one of the things that I wanted to install on that property was security floods that were just motion sensor based. And I learned that I can't have security floodlights on the property. Interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Well, that's an HOA thing in my case. It's a light pollution issue. Yeah. Because it's a beach resort. You want people to have just a, you know, a nice, friendly, pleasant looking environment without a bunch of glary lights. Now, there are two scenarios here. There's that short-term rental scenario that I just talked about. Like if you have an Airbnb or a vacation rental, and then there's long-term typical lease rentals that you might think of. That's what we were talking about from the renter's side just a bit earlier. And I'm going to try and touch on stuff that I think makes sense for each of those cases. And I'll point them out as we talk through this. The other thing to keep in mind is if it's not possible to have some sort of hub on the property, like in some locked capacity or somewhere where no one's going to mess with it, then you probably want to stay away from hubs and bridges. If possible, you probably want to work with smart technology that's going to connect to Wi-Fi as much as possible. You said something interesting there, which I think is an interesting discussion, which is uh, you said locked away. I actually would advocate that to the extent you're comfortable with it, not locking away certain things, because one of the podcasts I listened to recently, they were talking about going and staying at a vacation property and their Wi-Fi was locked away in you know, some closet in the basement or something, which was the worst place for the Wi-Fi to be. And when it went down, they couldn't do anything about it. So to the extent at which you can, I would leave things in accessible places so that there's troubleshooting possible if needed, especially if if you're not nearby. Yeah, I mean, you need to worry. Well, maybe you don't need to worry. I think you need to keep in mind that anything that you leave there could be messed with, could even be taken. True. I'm amazed as a vacation rental property owner, the crap that people take. And so I'd be cautious and concerned about leaving a smart things hub or something like that in some place that someone could pick up and just take if they wanted to. That's an interesting one. We will talk about that Wi-Fi problem a little bit earlier. I, I, I know I, I know someone that makes a product that can help there, maybe. Yeah. The other thing to consider is that you should not be putting cameras in or perhaps even on a property in some jurisdictions or leases or buildings or management companies may not even allow that, may explicitly prohibit that. And it's obviously for privacy reasons that 
you as a landlord have no right to see what's going on in a property that someone else is renting. Yeah. You know, at least from the like Airbnb scenario, external cameras, I think, can be very helpful. And obviously, as an owner, you want to be able to have some indication of what's going on or, you know, some way to see in from time to time. So I think that can be helpful. But yeah, obviously, indoor ones, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. And like I said, in some cases, it may not be permitted at all. So if you're considering that, definitely look into it. And, you know, don't be creepy, right? Like, don't be putting hidden cameras somewhere. I know even with outdoor cameras, I stayed in a short-term rental that had an outdoor camera that was on periodically. And it really bugged me because they knew that I was renting the place. So why do you need a camera that's looking over a deck or a parking area or a pool? They had all of those and that really weirded me out. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about security and access. So Smart locks are a landlord's friend, particularly if you are a short-term landlord, a short-term rental owner. They can be really, really helpful, but it's important that you set them up properly. So you will always want to retain the master code for the lock yourself. And if this is a smart lock that has an app associated with it. That means you want to be the admin user there. And then for the case of short-term rentals, I recommend giving out one guest code. And obviously you want to reset that with every turnover. So every time you have a new guest, you don't want the last guest's code to let them get access to that place anymore. Yeah, I've wondered this in some of the short-term rentals I'd stayed in um, that maybe don't have the most fancy locks. I'm like, there's no way they reset this code very often. So (laughs) you got to imagine that leads to issues from time to time. Yeah, I mean, this is just a good practice. It protects you. It protects your tenants. It's a good practice. For long-term rentals, I would suggest that you should give people multiple codes They should still be guest codes, but you should give them multiple codes so that they have one that they can use themselves, and then they can give codes out if they have friends staying with them or something like that. Yeah, I think particularly for long-term rentals, I had helped a friend who managed some properties look into this space a while back. There's some pretty sophisticated systems here and some pretty neat stuff you can do where you're managing, you know, a bunch of locks and electronic access and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think there's some pretty good stuff here. And if you're a a renter, I would look for places that have this because it's nice to not have to carry around keys too. So, you know, I think that can lead to a nice system for both parties, both the people managing it and those that live there. Yeah. And the other thing, if you have a short-term rental, like a vacation rental, you don't want to deal with keys. You don't want to have to deal with getting people keys. How often do you get it rekeyed? You probably don't. Most short-term rentals are moving to this model if, if they haven't already. 
and you can see why. It just makes complete sense. But on a regular rental, it can also be good, and it helps make sure that you still have access to the property. And that's something that's important as a landlord. You should still be able to get into the property in the case that you're asked to address something or there's an emergency. And by maintaining the master code for yourself, that allows you to do that. Also, make sure you're not giving admin accounts to your renters because then they could potentially lock you out and you don't want them doing that. Now, all of this also applies to security systems. If you have a security system in an apartment, you want to do the same sort of thing. You want to maybe give them multiple codes. You keep the main code. You give out guest codes. And just as with locks, you want to make sure that you clear them all out at the turnover when you have a new renter that takes the property on. Now, lighting and electrical control is an interesting one from the landlord's perspective. Because what do you want to accomplish with smart lighting? Maybe you want to try and make things easier for people who are staying there. Maybe you want to have some control over lighting if the place is vacant, for example, and you want to make sure that it doesn't feel or look vacant. Again, this is good for short-term rentals. Maybe you want to save energy by making sure that things that are on go off and aren't left on all the time. So that's kind of what's driving a lot of my recommendations. I would argue that it makes sense to put an exterior and maybe a couple of interior fixtures on smart switches, not to use with timers when the place is occupied, but when it's not occupied, to be able to have some light on the property or on the exterior. Something that can also be helpful is for turnover to make sure that there's a light on when the people who are coming to rent the place arrive. Not everybody gets there in daylight, particularly if it's wintertime. So driving up to a dark house that you don't recognize and trying to fumble with a lock and get inside and not know where anything is can be really problematic. So having a light, uh, and again, I'm talking about a built-in fixture somewhere that's on a smart switch, just setting that so that on the day of the turnover, that's on and ready for the people that are coming in can be really helpful to new guests. Yeah, I think that makes sense, you know, from a safety perspective too, like, if it's not rented to have it look like, you know, lights are coming on and off and stuff like that can just be a nice feature as well. Yep, for sure. Now, it may make sense to have some labeled keypads around the house that might be linked to some smart switches to make it easier to control things and help people understand what those are. That's a nice to have. And again, I would not implement any automation for these situations. This is really just to make things more convenient for people. And for short-term rentals, label switches. Please get a label maker, get a brother, P-Touch or whatever, and please label switches. That makes life so much easier for folks. I would avoid 
the temporary controls that we talked about that are good for renters, I would avoid things like picos and magnetic remote controls and things like that because they could get broken or go missing or get lost and you don't want to have to deal with replacing those. So to the extent possible, go with built-in controls or things that are kind of permanently mounted. Makes sense. And then similarly, I think of, uh, this is something that I did in my vacation rental for all the ceiling fans. I installed permanent in-wall controls for the ceiling fan so that you don't have people yanking on the chains trying to turn the light on or off or adjust the fan. They can do it all right from the wall. You don't have a remote control floating around somewhere that could fall and break. It's just built in right there. Nearly every ceiling fan that you buy nowadays, if it doesn't have specific onboard electronic or digital controls already, can be controlled by a ceiling fan switch. These are switches designed to control motors without introducing too much motor noise, if you will. And then I have also found that timer switches for bathroom exhaust fans are a big saver of electricity because people forget to turn off bathroom fans and leave them on all day long. So it's a nice way of just saving a little bit of electricity for you and or your tenants. Similarly, motion controls for things like pantry and walk-in closets so that folks don't forget to turn lights off again if you have a short-term rental, this is benefiting you more than the tenant, but it is a nice thing to consider. And again, for short-term rentals, outlets with USB in them in some common areas and in the kitchen are always helpful. So that's a nice thing to think about. I might disagree with you on this one. Oh, I think we're in a weird state of USB right now, just because with so much, so many things going USB-C. I try to go as much USB-C stuff these days as possible, so I find that I don't travel with as much USB-A stuff anymore. And, you know, if you have any number of things that need charging, you're likely bringing that stuff with you. So, I don't know. Potentially. And, you know, I think it depends on the situation. I know that when I stay in a place and it has usb built in, I find it really helpful. I specifically in our rental property purchased outlets that have one USB-C and one USB-A. Is that the old one? Yep. So USB 3.0, I think it was. So it has both. Oh, that's and nice. that accommodates things. I also, you know, for a vacation rental, you kind of, also do like these little nice over the top things for guests as well. And we've done things like bedside nightstands, standalone things that also are chargers and have chi charging on them and things like that. Nice. That's a nice touch. All right. For thermostats on the landlord side, I think it's really helpful to have a smart thermostat. It can help monitor the use of your systems and you can get a feel for whether people are using your systems reasonably or not. Like if somebody's 
complaining, for example, that the AC never works and you find that they're running it at 62 constantly, well, that might be an indication of why. Having that sort of information can be really helpful. It is also helpful in short-term rentals to be able to somewhat limit and govern the use of the thermostat. So if you have a thermostat that can lock out anything but basic temperature control, and in some cases even allow you to set a range for the temperature control, that can be very helpful too. I would still encourage the allowing of control within a reasonable Absolutely. range. Because some places they just lock it out altogether and, and that's not fun. No, that's not cool. That's not cool. Don't be that landlord. So the other thing that these are good for is if you want to set back the temperature when the place is vacant. So if you don't have anyone there, you don't want the heat on, you don't want the air conditioning on when it doesn't need to be. You just need to maintain a reasonable temperature. So you can crank in the winter, crank that temperature maybe back to 50 degrees and in the summer have something like a threshold of 85 or 80 degrees or something like that. So it doesn't kick on until it gets really warm. You don't want to have no air conditioning on in a place if you can avoid it because you're going to end up with humidity buildup depending on where you are. And that can cause all sorts of other environmental problems in your home. Right. I would recommend avoiding any sort of learning mode on a thermostat certainly for short-term rentals, but maybe even in long-term rentals. The things that are trying to second-guess the intent of your tenants, why even go down that path? That's just, that's just potentially causing problems. So I would try to avoid putting in that type of mode. And of course, just like we were talking about with some other stuff, be sure that you check and reset this stuff on a turnover so that if you have a new tenant coming in after somebody's been there for a year, you want to make sure they didn't turn on learning mode and that it doesn't have some sort of pre-programmed stuff in there that made sense for them, but isn't going to make sense or even be understandable by your next tenants. I am a huge fan of sensors in rental properties, whether it's short-term or long-term. Sensors can give you some peace of mind that your property is in good shape. So the first thing, leak sensors. I have leak sensors in various places around my short-term rental. These would be good in a long-term rental too, because it'll give you some idea that if something's leaking, it probably requires some attention from you or a contractor. Yeah, and obviously you want to know about that before it becomes a big problem. Right, exactly. And your tenant may not notice that something under a sink or something behind a washer is leaking, but your sensor will. And trust me, that will save you money. And in like a multi-story condo or something like that, that can be the most catastrophic stuff because if you have water that starts leaking from an upper floor to lowers, that's, that's really bad. Right. Similarly, smoke detectors, smart smoke detectors can help keep you informed of what's going on in that property, certainly when people are there, but also when no one's there to just kind of give you some peace of mind. 
You may also want to consider some electricity monitoring, depending on whether you've found that there have been any energy use or energy supply problems to the property. I know months ago, Stacey Higginbotham talked about a product called Ting on her IoT podcast. And that's a device that State Farm, as an example, who is my insurer, gives out for free to people who have their homeowner's insurance because it's designed to look for problems in your electrical lines, either with the supply or in the home, and preempt any sort of electrical catastrophe, like an electrical fire or something like that. So that's a cool product that might save you uh, some problems going forward. And again, we talked about cameras before, but motion temperature, occupancy sensors, those might be good to have around in discrete places to just have an idea of whether there's anybody in your house when there shouldn't be or anybody in that condo when there shouldn't be. So sensors are really, really good for landlords, in my opinion. Yeah. On the entertainment side, and assistant side, like we were talking about before, first of all, just don't. For assistance, don't. I would argue that you're going to have more hassle and maybe even creep people out by having any sort of digital assistant in a rental property. Short-term, long-term, whatever, I wouldn't do it. You might think you're being helpful. I even bought a... Nest Hub thinking, oh, it'd be really cool to have like the temperature and local information and everything on the kitchen counter. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized that that probably was going to creep people out and that they wouldn't want that. So I would avoid things like that. For any entertainment stuff, I would say just keep stuff simple. Like this applies more to short-term rentals, of course, but Minimize the number of remotes that you have if you have televisions around. Maybe provide a universal remote and instructions, a way of actually guiding them, not a manual, maybe just four or five steps. Here's what you need to know to watch television or to play music or what have you. Also, consider providing a way for guests to plug in their own HDMI devices and maybe their own audio input without breaking things, meaning without tearing stuff up to be able to plug in their own game console. I can't tell you how many rentals I've been in where the TV didn't work properly because somebody prior to me being there had torn out cables so they could plug in their game console. Right. And they don't care that it doesn't work for the next renter. <laughs> so they're just trying to find a way to plug the thing in that they wanted to use. And if you have a management company or a uh, contractor that's taking care of that property, they're probably not going to check to make sure that all the TVs are working the way they're supposed to and the inputs are right. And that's just not going to happen. So make it easy. I have dongles connected to every TV that are visible 
from the front so that people can see that they can plug their own thing in there and be able to connect their own devices without having to tear into the wiring that's already there. And I learned that lesson the hard way because I had to fix too many of those. Yeah, makes sense. All right, finally, I want to talk about Wi-Fi. This isn't something that we talked about on the renter side because you can provide your own or there might be some there. But on the landlord side, this is really important because to operate a lot of stuff or to monitor a lot of the stuff that we just talked about, you need to have good Wi-Fi. I recommend something that is permanently mounted, like those ceiling discs that you can get from Cisco or Eero Pro or Unify, something that is permanent for these antennas and preferably, depending on the size of the property, mesh to ensure that you have good, reliable, robust Wi-Fi everywhere it needs to be. Just like a security system or a lock, keep the primary admin account for yourself. Don't give that out. Create a separate network for your IoT stuff. You're the landlord. If you're putting IoT stuff on the network, create a separate network with its own password and own SSID that you can then connect your things to. Whether it's visible or not, doesn't really matter. Nobody's going to have the password to it. And maybe even call it IoT so that you know what it is and other people know it's not for them. But this is critical for one key reason, which we'll talk about in a minute. I also recommend creating separate 2.4 and 5.0 or combination, because usually you wouldn't create a separate 5.0, but if you're creating a 5 gigahertz network, it's usually a combination of 5 and 2.4. I hate that in places where they have them as separate networks. It's confusing, and then you're like hopping between them to see which one has better signal strength. It's just so much easier if it's a combo network. Well, it's better if it's a combo network, but I am also recommending specifically a separate 2.4 network because it's possible that somebody there has a device that isn't smart enough to be able to negotiate with a combination network. Yeah. It could be because they have their own Wi-Fi portable smart device of some sort that doesn't play nicely with 5.0 and doesn't work well with those combo networks. So I think it's a good idea to have a 2.4 network. It needs to be clearly named so that people understand it. And these are all guest use networks. These are intended for your guests to use. But using normal network security and encryption, not like one of those here, put your email address in here, kind of portal things. You want your normal access for that. Now, there's a really cool device that I have, and I can't take credit for it. A colleague or associate of mine through this industry recommended this product to me called a Wi-Fi porter. If you have a short-term rental or maybe even a long-term rental too, this is a small device that has an NFC chip in it and has a QR code associated with it. And you can set that up so that 
it will allow anybody to connect to a network just by tapping it or by following the address associated with the QR code. It works with Android and it works with iOS. It is seamless and I love this thing. Yeah, this is cool. It's not cheap. There's a wall-mounted one, which we have in our rental property. There are also portable ones that are smaller and you can, I have one of those in my house actually, which is kind of cool. But I don't know that I would leave that in a rental because it's too easy to lose or get stolen or something like that. But pretty cool idea. So much nicer than like the, you know, okay, where's the book with all the stuff in it that says what the Wi-Fi or, you know, tape on the wall or whatever. It's a right. more gl- glamorous. Yeah, for sure. I actually have signs around our place too on each level for what the Wi-Fi password is. But then I took that QR code that it generates and included them on the signs too so that people can just snapshot that and get on the network pretty quickly that way. So that's a helpful thing. Now, what if your Wi-Fi goes down? That's bad. Well, your company, Adam, makes this thing called the Rebooter. And what does it do exactly? It reboots the network if it goes down. Yeah. So this is a really cool product that's monitoring your Wi-Fi. It's trying to periodically ping the internet through your Wi-Fi connection that it has with your Wi-Fi network. And if it can't do that, if it that's an indicator across multiple sites, so you're not just checking to, oh, I can't get to the site anymore. It's looking to see various places on the internet. Can I get out to it? If it can't, then something's probably wrong with your Wi-Fi. And through some settings that you can configure yourself, it will then reboot your Wi-Fi for you automatically because it couldn't detect the Wi-Fi that it, it was expecting. Really slick. So yeah, obviously in a property where you're not there, something like this is really handy because often you need that Wi-Fi to be able to access the property or, you know, for things to work the right way. So it's just a pretty simple and easy way to to make sure that things stay alive. Well, it's also nice even... If the place is occupied and you're not there, and again, short-term rental, maybe somebody's complaining about internet outage, your device lets you manually reboot it. So you could go in and you could trigger a reboot to try and solve the problem remotely and not have to call your favorite electronics contractor to come out and troubleshoot what's going on. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention, so obviously in long-term rentals, especially in bigger buildings, it's becoming more and more common that Wi-Fi is provided and part of the like infrastructure of the building. So yeah, if you're you're looking to rent, you know, look into those kinds of things and they often sometimes even include internet access as part of the package. So something to consider as well. Which makes a whole lot of sense. And if you're an owner of a property that has this sort of capability. Let's say you're in a condo. The condo has Wi-Fi. That may change what you can do for your guests. But these sorts of things still apply, and you might want to look into whatever system you have to see if you can set stuff like that up. Now, my final thought here on Wi-Fi is to reset these guest passwords 
after your long-term tenants leave. Now, if you have short-term, I wouldn't worry so much about that. Uh, it's kind of like staying in a hotel, right? You're going to have people that come back periodically. It's not like anybody is storing hard drives in a short-term rental and has a network of stuff there. But if you have a long-term rental, you want to make sure after that rental that you reset those guest passwords. And here is why you want a completely separate network for your IoT stuff. You don't ever want to have to reset that password because yeah. that is a big, huge hassle. Totally. So those are my recommendations for smart stuff for landlords. You know, there's one more thing that I'm thinking of that I don't know that I originally considered here. And that's smart blinds. Again, if you have a short-term rental and you don't want people peering in the property, it might make sense for you to have mechanical blinds that Maybe have a remote there that attached to the wall that people can operate them manually while they're there, or they pull something and it operates it directly on the blind, but that if the property is not occupied, you have the ability to lower those either to save some energy costs potentially, or just to keep the property in more of a off-season locked up state. Yeah, obviously that's one you want to make sure it's easy for people to understand how to operate them um, and have some simple controls. Yep, yep. So that's all I have from the landlord's perspective. So as far as a, a smart home show question, we don't have any this week. So if you want to send us one, you can do that on Twitter using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow. And we'll pick a question for the next episode to include. All right. Well, hopefully this was informative for folks. I've heard different podcasters take a cut at the rental stuff, but I don't think anybody's look, looked at it from both sides of the coin like we did. So I hope this is helpful to folks. Meanwhile, if people want to find out more about what we're up to, Adam, where can people find you specifically? Yeah, you can find our products and everything we're up to at ConnectSense.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice. All right. And you can find me at Richard Gunther on Twitter. And you can find the stuff that I'm writing about, like Google still not letting you control automations with sensors three years after Works with Nest went away at TheDigitalMediaZone.com. This Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, and that's a collection of great tech podcasts that includes Home Tech FM, The Spoon Podcast, and my other show, Home On. And you can find our show notes and details about all of our episodes out at smarthome.fm. You can send us feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm. And if you're looking for us, you're going to find us anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast anywhere else out there and do us a favor, leave a rating or review, but more importantly, tell a friend about the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. <laughs>